Welcome to the Realmcast. I am the Mortal Kombat fan, Tim, and with me as always is my co-host, our lore master, Yanni. Welcome, Yanni. Thanks, Phantom. Today, we have with us a special guest. Uh, we have the stunt coordinator from Mortal Kombat Legacy Season 2, and also the director of the mysterious, unreleased Mortal Kombat Generations, Garrett Warren. Welcome, Garrett. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks. We are so excited to have you on. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. <laughs> this has been a long time coming. I know that. So, Garrett, tell us a little bit about yourself. Were you a fan of Mortal Kombat before you started getting involved in the franchise? Yeah, actually, well, the original Mortal Kombat was um, the video game was something I played an awful lot. And I was a martial artist and that's what got me into the business, you know. So when Mortal Kombat came out, just like Street Fighter, of course, I was in on it. Loved it. Um, You know, Scorpion was my favorite, of course, out of all of them. I love ripping people's spines out and dangling their skulls, you know, <laughs> predator and so forth. This and is in-game, right? In-game, yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, but, but more importantly, I have to admit, aside from playing the game back then, you know, it was the fact that, you know, martial arts was becoming bigger than life. Uh, we already were doing movies, but now we were in video games, and that was what made it an awful lot of fun. And then shortly after I started playing the video game, I started getting into the movie business. And then I started stealing from the video game. Interesting. What, what do you mean? Can you give us some examples? Dude, let me tell you something right now. Even the stuff that I did in Logan mm-hmm. was influenced by like the cinematics that Mortal Kombat released. Let me tell you, their cinematics were absolutely brilliant. I was sucked in. I almost wanted to see more cinematics and be a part of the cinematic world uh, than I was with the game itself. You know, I loved the story, the, the fight scenes and the trailers and the commercials. For yes. Mortal Kombat X, especially Mortal Kombat X, I was just floored at, at like the fight between Scorpion and um, Sub Zero. You know, the one that's in the forest. It's really dark out in this. Just oh battle. yes, dude! And the fight was just so strong and so 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 well done and just brutal. And the thing I like about Mortal Kombat is there's not a lot of of moves that you have to do in a fight. It's pretty much a block and a hit, and a guy gets ripped to shreds, flies back and hits a tree. You know, so it's not like a person has to block five times and then hit someone, then he gets hit, then he hits back. No, it's pretty much just cause and effect. And I love that. You know, I, I, maybe I've got ADD, but maybe I like, you know, <laughs> but I dig the idea that, you know, and it's like the WWE. It's not a whole lot of blocks going on there. It's a guy who runs into a forearm and smashes to the ground. That's it. And we all know it's going to happen. And he does too, but yet he still does. And we all buy into it, you know? So that's why I, lo- I love Mortal Kombat. I love hearing your take on the games itself because a lot of people might not realize, but you were stunt coordinator for so many movies, uh, Logan, Alita, Battle Angel and and things like that. So it's really cool to hear your how you perceive Mortal Kombat as opposed to other guests that we've had on the show. Absolutely. In the season that I directed, which no one has seen yet, and I don't know, maybe they'll release it eventually. I started, I tried to steal some of the filming techniques that they did where they would crash zoom on someone and then they would x-ray into their bodies. So on the season that I did, we did some of that, you know, now, of course, cool. we had a limited budget because we were just, you know, we were a web series. But nonetheless, we did a little bit here and there. And it was really good. And I have to my hats off to the people that did Mortal Kombat. I'm telling you, man, that is some of the best stuff. I even stole that when I was doing Limitless. I don't know if you guys remember the fight scene in Limitless. Yes. When we were down in the subway. All right. Well, mm-hmm. I stole the ideas of doing the crash zoom in when the guy shoves his fingers into the guy's mouth. You know, uh, when Bradley Cooper shoves his thumbs into the guy's mouth and like, you know, fish hooks him and opens it up. There's a whole lot of crash zooms where we like zoom into people's faces and we crash zoom out the other side. 
I stole that from Mortal Kombat. Sorry, guys, but that's... <laughs> no, no, we love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Happy to see that, that uh, sort of influence. Yeah, let me tell you, uh, Mortal Kombat has been one of the greatest influences on my career, let alone me as a fan, you know, because I have actually taken an awful lot away from it and used it in film because uh, it's solid. It's cinematic and it's brutal and I love it. It's really cool to hear how the games influenced you. Before we jump too much into the Mortal Kombat stuff that you've directed, can you tell us what's been your favorite project that you've worked on? Uh, I mean, because you, you have a huge resume of, of stunt coordination and stunt doubling on different movies and, and TV series even. Yeah, I mean, uh, I also direct a lot of second units. So a lot of the times, like for Logan and um, Divergent and things like that, I also get to direct the action. The directors, of course, are busy doing um, dialogue and uh, other stuff that is uh, super important to the film. And then, you know, having someone just getting crushed by a car or a fight sequence uh, that he feels comfortable he can lay off to me is some of the stuff that I do as well. So I go out there and I get to also shoot things. And so when you guys ask me a question like that, I almost feel like I want to like hit it back to you and go, that's an impossible question to answer. <laughs> yeah, fair. Alice in Wonderland with Tim Burton was such an amazing experience. Tim is absolutely the nicest guy in the world. Genius. Working with him and all the cast and all the producers was by far one of the greatest experiences I've ever had in my life. Yet at the same token, I did the first Avatar. I created mm -hmm. history, guys. I mean, that was spectacular. And let me tell you, there is no filmmaker like James Cameron. James Cameron is the greatest filmmaker, hands down, that anybody can ever witness. You know, you guys see the final product on the screen, which is great. Terminator 1, Terminator 2, um, Titanic. But let me tell you something. To watch him work, to hear him talk, and to see his process is infinitely enlightening, especially if you're a filmmaker. So I can't tell you, if you guys ever get to watch behind the scenes, do it. Find James Cameron, watch his behind the scenes, and you guys will get an education unlike anything else. Now, I did a movie called The Losers back a while ago. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'll tell you something, I had the greatest time on it. And in that movie, I jumped off of a hundred foot crane with a camera following the stunt double for Jeffrey Dean Morgan as he grabbed the detonator midair. And uh -huh. people don't know, but that was not CGI. That's all real, man. And we live in a day and age where everything is CGI now and people on a green screen. No, we weren't. We were 100% right in your face. I took a camera and I hit, you know, terminal velocity and had to stop on a dime. And all of my insides kept going, but my body didn't, you know. And we Gosh. did the high takes. <laughs> and I did so let me tell you, if you ever get a chance to see, like on my Instagram, I had a video a while ago of, of me jumping off that crane with the camera in my hand and me stopping like, you know, a pinata. It was ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> the Losers is so underrated. It's got some great action scenes in it. Chris Evans is hilarious in it. I mean, everybody, yes. is, you know, <laughs> uh, I, Jeffrey Dean Morgan is genius. Always Listen, I can't go on about it enough. I'm going to tell you it's great. Now, then you go on to like movies like Battle Angel. Mm -hmm. Battle Angel is underrated as well. Let me tell you, the cast is spectacular. Rosa. I loved it. Chris. I mean, what a great cast. Robert Rodriguez is a genius filmmaker. Then at the same token, I did a movie called Starship Troopers. In that one, I wasn't the stunt coordinator. I was the fight choreographer and I was the stunt double for Jake Busey. And that's where I became great friends with Casper Van Dien. And that movie was spectacular. And in it, the stunt coordinator, his name is Vic Armstrong. 
Now, that's a name that not many people know about, but let me tell you, you should. Because Vic Armstrong was the double for Indiana Jones for Harrison Ford. He was the stunt coordinator on some of the greatest movies in history. Um, responsible for, for movies like Rob Roy and, uh, you know, go on and on. And I'm sure there's an awful lot of people that are young right now and have no idea about these things. And you guys should really start looking back at some films from back in the day, some of the action that was done and how they did it, because we risked our lives back then. We weren't on green screens. We were actually getting hit by cars and jumping off trains. I would actually, on Walker, Texas Ranger, when I was on that TV series, I used to do transfers from helicopters to moving trains and stagecoach fights. Yeah, exactly. There was no green screen and it was awesome. So take a moment, guys, and look back in history. And, you know, what I would suggest is, I'll tell you what, guys, I'll make it easy. Go research Vic Armstrong. Vic Armstrong is the godfather of action, if you ask me. That man is responsible for so many iconic moments that you guys will never, ever be able to fathom it. It'll blow your mind. And stuff we're probably never going to be able to see again either with the way Hollywood's kind of transitioned to CGI and things like that. Yeah, the the way it's evolving. Yeah, it's hard. And that's why my hat's off to Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan says, no, I'm going to shoot on celluloid and I'm going to do it all in camera. So I love that. (laughs) And, and, And so does, but it pays off because I have to admit, his movies are an event. And so is oh, yeah. uh, Quentin Tarantino. He doesn't do CGI either. That man mm-hmm. does it all in camera and it shows. And, you know, God bless those guys. My hat's off to them. And then, listen, I also did a movie called um, The Master with Paul Thomas Anderson. And he is genius, guys. He did Magnolia, Boogie Nights, um, There Will Be Blood. Um, it, it goes on. So Paul Thomas Anderson, look him up, watch his films. He is an amazing director. When I was looking through your resume, uh, I noticed that one of the first things you did, you used to work as a stunt double on a uh, the TV show Raven. That's kind of funny because <laughs> we recently had Jeff Meek on here, who was the star oh, of Raven. Oh, Jeff! <laughs> yeah, I love Jeff. He's oh so God. great. But I was I was curious on the uh, pilot for Raven, uh, Carrie Tagawa, who played ended up playing Shang Tsung in uh, Mortal Kombat Legacies. He and and of course in in the original Kombat movie, he was on uh, Raven also. And I'm curious, did you happen to get to know him during that time, or was it later on? Yes, I did. He was a ninja. Oh mm-hmm. my goodness, he was awesome. He was like a red <laughs> ninja. And he was. And let me tell you, to work with him back then, he wasn't as big at the time, but he was kind of big, and it was just brilliant because I was super like you know, chop sake movie, Hong Kong aficionado. And I thought he was just the best thing since sliced bread. And I also got to work with Lee majors and you guys don't know who that is or do you? Uh, actually the name sounds very familiar. Oh man. breaks my heart. Oh, <laughs> Lee majors was the bionic man. And then he, yes. Okay. So let me tell you growing up, I used to watch the Bionic Man and I used to want to be the Bionic Man and I used to like make that noise. No, 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 like punch someone. And you know, he'd run and it would go na 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 na. He'd make this music and it was just the greatest series. I watched it recently and it it really is kind of hokey, but it's simply brilliant, guys. And I'm telling you right now, to work next to him. Um, I felt like I was working in the shoes of greatness. He was unbelievable. But yeah, Jeffrey Meeks, I was the stunt double for him. That was my first job really in the business, to tell you the truth. And I was a karate competitor. 
You know, I had just won the World Open Taekwondo Championships at the time. And these guys came to me saying, hey, we want you to double this guy because I was throwing kicks that not many people could do back then, you know, like backflips and breaking boards and stuff. And I didn't look anything like him. So it took them like an hour every day just to put a wig on and make me tan and look just like this guy. But <laughs> I, was out there the one, I was the one that was out there, you know, getting hit by cars for him and doing all sorts of stuff. And Jeffrey is he's got a special place in my heart. He's an amazing guy, amazing actor. And yeah, in the TV series, in the lore of Mortal Kombat, he is legend, guys. Well done. For those of our fans that don't know, he ended up playing Shao Kahn and Raiden in Mortal Kombat Conquest later on. At the same time. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) I'm so happy that you guys have such good background. I dig this, man. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of martial arts, I mean, you're fifth Dan Black Belt in Taekwondo? Yes. With uh, three world championships. How long have you been practicing martial arts? Way over 24 years. I hate that we're going to get into that because I'm... (laughs) older side obviously uh you know but but definitely like my my style choices have changed a bit now um in my life i'm more muay thai than i am anything right now and i'm a little bit more like um close quarter battle kind of stuff so Mm. somewhat jiu-jitsu somewhat um you know krav maga ish and it really kind of serves its purpose to a a film standpoint but yet i still did some wushu when i was younger i did kempo um, you know, and I was a very big fan of all the martial arts back then, and they've suited me very well, even to this day. But um, I'm a little bit more grounded and I'm a little bit more, you know, I, I like to see if I can crack a skull instead of throw a flying kick. Yeah, going from flashy to, I guess, more, uh, I guess, straightforward. Exactly. Is there like a martial arts style that you've always wanted to learn, which you haven't had a chance? Not really. Tell you the truth. I think that even when I was helping prepare Jessica Alba for Dark Angel, you know, James Cameron had me go out there and learn all different kinds of martial arts to try to teach her different styles. I guess, you know what, there is a style that I never really studied that I wish that I did. And the Spetsnaz does this Russian style. And it's really weird. I, I wish I had taken the time to go out there and learn from a teacher. I just did it off of videos, really. Mm. And if you ever get a chance to see some of the stuff that the, the Russians do, I don't necessarily know if it's pr- practical or not, but it's crazy and it's wild. Then there's another style too, the original style of martial arts. It's this Indian style. Oh, what is it called? And I've completely forgotten what it was now. Um, but it's supposed to be the one that Bodhidharma had created. Oh, Kalari Payat. Now, once again, this is also a very weird and interesting style. And I believe that I think in Street Fighter, they had that Indian guy, the rubber bendy guy, if you remember. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he was very similar. So I don't know if the world knows this or not, but all martial arts were supposed to have been originated in India. Mm -hmm. So when I first started doing movies like Divergent or other films where they wanted to create their own style of martial arts, um, I used to go back and try to see what these founding fathers, the people that were originally trying to create this style there's also some African martial arts um, that I was looking into that I wanted to, you know, research as well as for the first Avatar. And I was stealing ideas and movements from those styles. It's somewhat impractical as well when you see it. It's, you know, because they have like shields and chain whips and so forth. So not a lot of you are going to use that in the street. However, <laughs> there are some interesting stances and principles and movements that help create a different style. And so that's where I get a lot of my inspiration from. That's amazing because all these different 
martial arts styles that you've researched and looked into how they've affected the movies that you've been a part of. Like you, you can definitely see that in things like Avatar, like the way that the, the creatures, I forgot what they're called, the blue creatures, how they I mean, um, are fighting. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I'm glad you see that because let me tell you, I don't think a lot of people understand the amount of effort it goes into to creating a character driven style of fighting. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like in the first Divergent, I tried to create this whole new fighting style, you know, and it was supposed to have been the Dauntless style. And I kind of stole the idea from George Foreman. And he had this peekaboo style with one arm down in the front, one arm up. And when I used yeah. to, fight, when I was a martial artist and I fought, I used to leave my front hand down to protect my body and my back hand up in front of my face. And that was mm -hmm. also my guard. And so I was like, man, I want to try and take that and adopt it into the movie. Now, the hard part is when you teach actors these things, they take them very literal and they stick their hands out in a very awkward position. And you're like, okay, you gotta relax. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> find its way to your body and make it look like it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a guard and not just you trying to, you know, hold your hands out. But you can also see that in a lot of martial arts movies when you just try to teach an actor how to hold their hands like a fighter you can see that they really weren't embedded in that first martial arts style that they're doing, whether it be Muay Thai or Kung Fu or something like that. And it's not easy to impart years of knowledge and years of skill. When you started working as a stunt choreographer on Mortal Kombat Legacy Season 2, did you kind of tweak the different styles for each character that you were bringing about on screen? <laughs> All right. Mortal Kombat Season 2. <laughs> get into this one here, guys. First of all, uh, you know, I remember getting a call from Kevin Tantron, who I love, by the way. And he says, hey, I got this web series and I want you to help me. And then I look online and I see the pitch that he did for it, which, by the way, is absolutely mind-blowingly good. Am I right? Mm -hmm. The first one he did was like, I'm still searching for that, guys. Where is that movie? Where is that style? You know, I know Power <laughs> Rangers wanted to do a movie that was like grounded and, and dark. Oh, and, yeah, that was amazing, too. And I thought and I saw that and I was like, I can't wait for this movie. And the movie just really didn't you know, deliver. And I can tell you the reason why, because studios have an awful lot of entities. You have like the studio, then you have um, the people that own the property, then you have the producers. So there's three different people trying to impart what they think is going to work um, in mainstream. And then it gets ripped apart and it becomes a difficult um, child to raise. You understand what I mean? Mm -hmm. yeah. So um, That's why those things are very hard. So season two, the styles were already set. Larnell Starval, he was the fight choreographer for the first season. And the first season was great. Kevin Tantron and Larnell did a great job. And then the second season, Larnell was in Canada doing another TV show and he wasn't available. So that's why Kevin Tantron reached out to me and he says, look, we don't have any money. And I know this is not something that is in your wheelhouse. You do big feature films, but I'd really like to get you on my show. And at that point, I looked at it as a labor of love and I said, look, I'm a big fan of what you did. He got me because of what he shot out of his own pocketbook. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And what he did for the fans. And to me, that was cinema genius. So my, you know, let me tell you, Kevin Tancheron is the gatekeeper. If you ask me, he's amazing. It's in there. And then, you know, as soon as you got the series, the hard part about the series is they give you a certain budget and they say, you have to do 10 episodes all within like five days or 10 days or whatever it is, you know, and then you have to just, you just have to try to like blaze through it. And that's not the way to do these things. I'm sure that when he did his first project, he took like 
three weeks, no one was getting paid, but he just did whatever it took to just shoot whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted, and just made it beautiful. You know what I mean? Yeah, it shows that it's a labor of love for him. Yeah, it really was great. And he did a great job carrying it over the first season. Second season, he did another good job, but of course he was still on a time crunch. He still had budget concerns. He still had to do things like, there was a, there was a calendar he had to meet. He had to get this thing done and get it out to the fans right away because they were trying to do it with the the release of the video game. So it's not that easy, you know, and I'm, I mean, I applaud him and I also applaud Dark Realm and Weeby and Warner Brothers for just trying to make this thing happen because I don't know if you guys know the anime that's out there, One Punch Man right now, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> Did you guys see the fan video, the live action one that was out? No, no. I saw it. I saw it was made. I hadn't watched it yet though. Yeah, it got pulled down. Um, you know, the guys over in, uh, the guys that own it over there in Asia, they, they said, Hey, listen, um, this is just too good. You can't have it out. You know <laughs> what? I mean? Yeah. And I'm sure that Kevin Tantron did his and Warner brothers and all those guys looked at it like, dude, this is way too good. You know, but mm-hmm. they went over to him and they said, listen, we love it. We want you to be a part of it. These poor guys that did one punch man. It's really, really good. It's cinematically good actually. The visual effects is absolutely spectacular. And so the people that own One Punch Man were like, this is way too good. You can't have it out there. We should be a part of this. And instead of them saying, hey, let's adopt you and have you do something for us. um, They just said cease and desist. You can't have it out there. And I get it. But yeah, but listen, to all you fans out there, I like that we all say something. Like Battle Angel, all the fans want another movie. However, sometimes mm-hmm. financially, it just isn't going to happen, guys. And we really do want it too. We loved it as well. But, you know, the powers that be have to crunch numbers and they still have to pay, you know, all the bills at the studios that they're still paying as well. So the guys that own One Punch Man, they probably have a movie in the making. They probably have things that they want to do and they don't want the world to be sidetracked from it, you know, and I get that. And say you created this, this creature of love and someone else took it and did something completely different than what you were going to do with it. You'd be heartbroken, wouldn't you? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as a fan, I, I, I love what those guys did. My hat's off to them, but I totally understand the people that own it. And I also understand what happened with season three. You know, we did what I felt was my version of Mortal Kombat and I loved it. It was a bit dark and a bit twisted because that's who I am. But, you know, Devorah was in there and she's dark and twisted. And I thought she's fantastic. I was utilizing that. And I really like what we had made. And I'm not allowed to talk an awful lot about it. But I can tell you this. You know, it was a labor of love for me. I I dug it an awful lot. But I do know there's a lot of people that own it. And they all wanted it done a certain way and released a certain way. And it had to serve certain purposes. And nobody could come to grips on what they were doing with it. As you can see with One Punch Man, it's not like Kevin Tantron days anymore, guys. It's not the Wild West. This is big business now. People own it now. And it's not like you can just post van, fan videos anymore. Yeah. And, and that's been like very evident with things like you said, like the Power Rangers video. Even there was like the Deadpool leak, which exactly. made, made them greenlight the movie. It was all because of these demo reels. Yeah, and it's all changed. Mm-hmm. That Wild West is gone now because everyone said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. There's a whole lot of money to be made there. There's advertising, you know, people didn't realize that and now they do. And so when someone comes out and they make something really good and it wasn't the people who created it, they get hurt. And I understand it. So that's why all my fans that reach out to me saying, can we see pictures? Can we find out details? I can't. I I signed. (laughs) I was born and raised in Boston. I give my word. Mm -hmm. I keep my word. That's all there is to it. 
you know? Fair enough. How did you end up going from being a stunt coordinator on Legacy Season 2 to actually directing the the third season or, or Mortal Kombat Generations? That was Kevin Tantron. Kevin couldn't do it. He was on to directing, you know, um, Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D. and so forth, which, by the way, I also did for a little while. And he was busy. He just didn't have it on his plate. And he said, hey, Garrett, would you like to direct it? And I said, heck, yes, I would. I want to do what you did. And I want to try to keep this thing going. And I, of course, did my own style of it. Some of the fights are really brutal. Some of them are really nice. Some of them are fun. There's a lot of lore in there. Ooh. I think I broke a couple of rules, so some people might get mad at me, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> uh, uh, but, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it is a web series. And, you know, it's not like I was getting paid <laughs> to be this, this one-way guy. They were like, come in here and do what you do best, and let's see what you can do. And they did that for me for Logan. They said, hey, we love your brutality. We're going to let you go. We're going to take the leash off and let you do what you can do. And I did. I ripped heads off. I tore arms yeah. off. <laughs> now that you mention all of this, I can look back and think, wow, yes, I can definitely see the MK influence see? in Logan. You get it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everybody loved Logan, too, because it was the first time that you got to see Wolverine unleashed yes. rather than the PG-13 versions. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's why they called me in, because I do have somewhat of a name as being one of the most brutal and nasty. And I tip the scales of what can be shown on film because, you know, there were certain things in Logan that I wanted to do that we just didn't do. Like he was supposed to stab someone in the head with his claws and that person gets stuck on him, you know, and then <laughs> He was going to use that person to keep punching other people in the face. <laughs> and he was going to take that guy. And when the guy fell to the ground, he was going to use that person's head to just keep crushing another person's head like a squashed melon. You know what I mean? And it was, really, yeah. it was nice. It was ugly. It was awesome. And to me, that is my art. You know, that's my Picasso. How did you actually start your career? How did you get involved in doing being a stunt double and then eventually stunt coordination? You know, I worked at a, a gym and I was teaching a lot of like celebrities and producers, martial arts. And I was teaching, you know, Taekwondo classes at the time as well as competing. And so I was constantly in front of people throwing really flashy kicks like 720s. And, you know, a lot of martial arts trickers now, they do things that I can't do. But before there was tricking, there was me. And there were people like... George Chung and Stephen Ho and Larry Lamb. And we were like the original people. And I wasn't even the original compared to them. They were even like an Ernie Reyes Jr. I don't know if you guys know who Ernie Reyes Jr. is, but he was the tricker before anyone else was a tricker, you know? And before there was Ong Bak, there was us. And um, that's why producers saw me and said, holy mackerel, here's a six foot one skinny white guy that can do a lot of the things that these other guys are doing. You know, you're a perfect double for certain people. We should use you. And that's what got me into the business. Vic Armstrong found me, uh, had me double Dolph Lundgren in Army of One and Starship Troopers. And I also worked doubling Crispin Glover and Charlie's Angels. I was the creepy thin guy double. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's what got me going. That's how I got in the business. You know, they, they saw this person that had a certain skill set and they used me. What is a tricker? I, I'm not familiar with this. Wait, you don't know what a tricker is? I'm not oh familiar with this God. term. No. <laughs> You're going to find this whole new subculture and you're going to get lost in it. Because it's these guys are awesome. I, I was trying to get into it and then I left the UK and I can't do it here. So <laughs> oh, man. let me tell you, in the United States, there's a ton. So look, martial arts trickers are guys that go out there and throw all of those crazy tricks that you see on videos where people do like these spins and these backflips and you know, there's things called box cutters. And you have no idea. I don't know how to explain it other than, you know how parkour is crazy now and people do crazy things? Mm hmm. 
That's the same thing. There is this like, just, it's not a traditional style of martial arts. It's gymnastics and acrobats meets martial arts. It's sort of like dancing in a way as well. And I think that it was personally, if you ask me, it was born out of wushu. Mm -hmm. So if you guys know what wushu is, mm -hmm. and those guys do butterfly twists and land in splits. Yeah. And they'll do like, 360s and throw a kick and then land in another split and then they'll do a flip out of it. So tricking was born in Wushu. And then these American kids took it and Americanized it. And then they made it a little bit more crazy and just used like hard style kicks with it. And so that's what made tricking. That's really cool. Do you have any highlights through, I guess, stunt roles or acting roles that you'd like to share? Like any personal favorites? Shit. <laughs> <laughs> No, you know what? I doubled Van Damme and Mickey Rourke in the same movie called Double Team. And it wasn't the best of movies, but it was <laughs> it was a cult kind of thing. I don't know if you guys ever saw it, but Dennis Rodman was one of the stars in it when Dennis Rodman was hot. Gosh. The director was this Hong Kong phenom named Choi Hark. And we were in Italy in the south of France. And at one point I had to hang out of a cargo plane at 17,000 feet on this cargo net package <sighs> with no parachute on and climb inside. So as a stunt person, that was stupid. But yet <laughs> I've never felt more alive in all my life. There was a movie called Chill Factor that I did um, a motorcycle chase on and I got hit by an 18-wheeler, and I almost died on that movie. They, they found me on the ground, the pieces of me that were on the ground into an ice chest and loaded me onto a helicopter, flew me to a, oh, a hospital and put me back together. So, you know, that was a highlight as far as craziness. You know, there's some, there's some seriously, like, amazing things that I've also done as far as, like, um, I did a movie called Lincoln with Steven Spielberg. Mm -hmm. And to me, that movie resonates way beyond the film itself. That tells the whole world that here is this amazing person. Abraham Lincoln was one of the greatest, if not the greatest president of all time. And he was doing something that not many world leaders anywhere on this globe were trying to do. And he was trying to make equal all people, men, women, you name it. He was a great man and he took no bullshit. He was like John Wayne became president. You know what I mean? So I was a very proud person when I got to do that film, not for just the action that we did, but for the thumbprint, I will get to leave in cinema. That is immortality, if you ask me. I'm super curious now because you've, you've gone from like high octane Mission Impossible type stunts to Steven Spielberg's Lincoln, which isn't known for its, its stunts and things like that that you did in the movie. What was your role in Lincoln? I was the stunt coordinator and there's a battle sequence. There is a war in the mm -hmm. rain in these pits at the beginning of the movie and you see people's faces getting shoved under the mud and, you know, killed. And I remember when Steven came out and he says, so how are we going to do this? I want to have a person's boot on someone's face and I push his face down into the mud and I want him to wiggle <laughs> until he runs out of breath and then dies. How are we going to do that? And I said, we're going to do that. Right. <laughs> That's said, amazing. We're going to do that. Well, well, what do you mean? I go, I'm going to have a guy that can hold his breath, get shoved down into the mud and he's going to wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. And there'll be a safety like if he feels he can't do anymore or he, or he inhales the mud, he's going to tap out on the mud up above. Mm -hmm. um, and, and he's like, oh, OK, well, let's see. And then we did it. We shoved this guy's down. Now, <laughs> What's on the screen is not everything that we filmed. He shot Saving Private Ryan back then in this mm -hmm. in this time period with we had rifle butts on these, um, you know, these muskets uh, or on these long rifles, you know. And what we did was we made them out of ceramic and they were filled with blood. And you'd run over to a stunt guy and you'd slam him in the head with the butt of these rifles. And it would break open and the blood would go everywhere. But the pieces of yes. ceramic 
looked like bone. It looked like we split the guy's skull open. It was so oh, bad. No. Because, because Stephen wanted to have it be PG-13, he was not uh-huh. allowed to release most of the stuff that we did. Wow. We hatchets. I took hatchets and buried them into people's collarbones that were the same thing. They would just break open and you'd have to hold it there and it would represent that the hatchet's inside the guy's collarbone. And this was all in camera. And you'd see blood go everywhere and bone go everywhere. And it was the greatest thing I'd ever seen. And no one's done it. <laughs> and Stephen couldn't put it out with the film because he wanted it to be PG-13. He cut it all away. Gosh. I mean, we were stabbing bayonets, real bayonets that were actually just retractables. So this wasn't like fake green screen stuff, guys. We had retractable bayonets. And sometimes those bayonets wouldn't retract, you know, and so it would hurt like hell, but we'd always have guys with like stunt padding on underneath it. So it wouldn't go through and hurt them. But let me tell you, when you see people get stabbed, they're getting stabbed and it was awesome. It was true. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, like, I, I mean, I've seen your work and I already appreciate it, but hearing you talk about it, I, I need more Mortal Kombat from you now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> Mortal Kombat served me there too. It's the brutality. It's the fatalities. It's what I love. And it's what Mortal Kombat is. This world, I don't think that anyone realizes it, but if you guys wanted to become great filmmakers, watch the Mortal Kombat cinematics and do your own version of it Hmm. with just a little tiny camera or on your phone and watch how good it looks and try to like steal some of the cinematic things like the crash zooms, you know, those, those things are amazing and put them in there and you guys will become wanted people. Hollywood will beat a path to your door. Mortal Kombat, (laughs) my hat's off to you guys. You guys have made my career. That's so cool to hear. Yeah. Before we jump into our discussion on Mortal Kombat Generations, I'm curious, and if you don't want to answer this, it's fine, but how exactly did you lose your eye? I'll totally answer it. It's out there. I mean, the whole world knows about it. So um, I was shot back in 2000. Um, A person was paid to kill me, came to my doorstep. Uh, Dateline NBC special about it out there. Put four bullets in me, one in the chest, one in my neck, one in my hip. And then he put the gun to my head execution style. When he pulled the trigger, I flinched sideways. So the bullet hit me in the corner of my right eye and came out my left ear. Just below my left Gosh. ear. And fortunately for me, the caliber was small enough that it just went straight through and came straight out the other side and nothing got really injured. I don't have a sinus or an orbit there anymore. And I don't have an wow. eye there anymore. But, um, you know, I'm still alive to this day. That's, in- That's incredible. crazy. Gosh. <laughs> I, I had actually never heard this story and we had been requested to ask you this question. So, so I was... I'm really curious to hear this. <laughs> I love it. I appreciate it, guys. And look, you know, I really don't have a big ego. It is all kind of out there. And I remember when I did the Dateline NBC special, first of all, I got no money. For it. And I remember people saying, you know, because it gets played all the time. They're like, oh, you must be making a lot of money. I did it for nothing. I did it for <laughs> free. And I did it because I felt that there was a spiritual need for me to make that. And when I first got called, I got called by a bunch of people. But then these people flew down to me while I was shooting Ender's Game in New Orleans. And they sat down and they talked to me and they said, we just want to tell you a story because they asked me, how did I feel about what happened to me? And I said, I'm completely fine with it. I have nothing but forgiveness in my heart. When you almost die and you sit on death's bed and you are pretty much, you know, saying goodbye to the world you start to think about everything you've done for your whole life. And let me tell you something, it weighs heavy on your soul. So when I was in the hospital, I got rid of all the anger and all the hate and all the desire for revenge because one day I'm going to die for real and I'm going to stand accountable. And there is a heaven, there is a hell, and you're going to be there on that doorstep one day, guys. When that happens, 
you're going to look back and all that stuff is going to weigh on your soul. It's going to be heavy. And so I got rid of it. I said, forget mm -hmm. it. I'm not going to worry about it. I, I, I completely forgive. And I, I jumped into the other people's shoes and I realized why they might have done it. And I understand that they might have had mistakes and poor judgment. And so I let it go. And the people on Dateline said, we really want to tell that story. And I said, if you can tell that story to the world and you can tell people that what we all need is to have a little more forgiveness in our hearts, then I'll do it. And I did it for free. Mm -hmm. I don't get any money. It's shown probably three to five times a year since it's happened, since in 2000. And I still get Facebook messages saying, really love your story. In fact, I met my current fiance because of it. Wow. She found me saying, I saw your story. I think that you're such a strong person for being able to forgive and forget and move on with your life. And um, my career took off afterwards. As soon as I did Gosh. that, as soon as I said no more and I'm okay, my career became just this amazing outlet. And I started doing Avatar and Beowulf and all sorts of other films. And I owe it all to the fact that, you know, I, I took accountability in my own self and said, you know, I can't go and perpetuate the evil that might be out there. And I think that people need to do it right now with what's going on. All mm -hmm. of these things that are going on and, uh, you know, the, the riots that are happening in this world, people need to start learning how to forgive and letting things go. Wow. Yeah, that's that's an amazing. Yeah. There's a story. That's 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 how I lost my eye. That's why I wear an eye patch. It's not for a fashion statement. Um, <laughs> and, and yeah, it, it, the reason why I did the Dateline special is because um, I certainly hope that I was able to impact this world in a better way than just killing people on screen. I'm I'm completely shocked. Like I actually expected this to be a uh, a stunt story, like uh, like a stunt accident or something like that. Uh, blew my it's, mind just now said you went full mortal Kombat instead wow yeah. <laughs> that's that's seriously intense and yeah you're i mean it's you're very strong to have been able to forgive that and come out the way you did so respect yeah. for that really listen man i'm no more strong than anyone else is in this world and i think that if i can do it other people can and i'm gonna tell you if you do it i guarantee Great things will happen for you, whether it be career-wise, future-wise, or life-wise. I'm not, I'm not saying you're going to win the lottery, but I'm going to just tell you right now, <laughs> your life will be so much better if you learn how to just let go. Woo-saw, sons. <laughs> <laughs> you know, forgive. If you do that, you will become a better, happier person, and people around you will be happier. That's great, great that advice. For, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and this totally, by the way, puts, uh, I mean, I once had to wear an eye patch, and my story is nowhere near as cool as yours. <laughs> I'm sorry, I have to say you it. Only, you only desire with a pencil, and you can relate. Dude, any story sucks. I mean, it doesn't matter, I, bullet or not, but. Did you have a hard time seeing because you had that, that you, 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 first of all, you have only two dimensions now. Your depth perception is off, right? It, it was off for, I mean, yeah, while well, I was wearing the eye patch and for a little bit after that. But uh, yeah, I can't imagine having to deal with that constantly. So, wow. Well, what's funny is when, when I did get shot, they tried to save my eye. We did three surgeries. Oh, wow. They, they stitched my eyeball, my, my eyeball up. And you don't know pain until you've had someone stitch your eyeball up while <sighs> you're wide awake. <sighs> oh. Um, and then let me tell you. Um, my brain saw two images basically. So I'd be walking around and one eye saw dark and the other saw light. So my pupil didn't know whether it should be dilated or, you know, what. <gasps> so I was constantly walking around having a hard time seeing and knowing whether or not was I in day or night. It was hard. So then eventually the doctor told me, he says, look, man, we're not going to save this eye. It's just not going to work. We got to cut it out of your head. And I said, all right, mm. go for it. Go for it. Wow. 
That was one of the only times in my life where I was sad and maybe it cried a tiny bit for about 30 <laughs> seconds, maybe a minute. Then I stopped it, put my big boy pants back on, told myself <laughs> to stop being such a, a, a punk and um, said, all right, <laughs> cut the eye out. I got another one. <laughs> I'm, cu- I'm curious, do you wear a glass eye now or do you just keep it covered all the time? I, I did it first. I was so vain and I was like, yes, I, I'm, I'm going to wear this. Nobody's going to know. And then eventually after Avatar, I stopped wearing the glass eye. It's just, I look like the buzzard in Bugs Bunny. You know, the guy that's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just look ridiculous. It's, I couldn't wear it anymore. So I just take it out now. And what's horrible is what I found out, my orbit is falling now because I don't put my glass eye in and I should really mm. put a glass eye in, but it just looks so bad guys. And, you know, I'm not the, you know, I'm my, my head's balding and I'm not going to get plugs. I'm not vain like that. I could care less. <laughs> you know, I was never born a pretty looking guy, you know? <laughs> I mean, have you never been tempted to wear a sort of Kano implant? <laughs> I, I did actually, especially yes. one time, um, a, a little like snow globe one. And we put a little Santa Claus in giving the finger and it was like, <laughs> and I was able to shake my head and look for it. And I can't find that anymore. And I wish I could. Oh my God. <laughs> I love it. I love that you took the opportunity to do it. Seriously. <laughs> the uh, Kano one, you know, like, an, like, like a Terminator one, but that needed yes. a battery pack and it was an awful lot of effort. And I was like, forget it. <laughs> and then at one point um, there was a movie called um, Cranked. Right, crank. With yeah, Statham. with Jay Statham. Yeah, I got hired so he could shoot me in the eye, and we wound up <laughs> oh. in the movie. They were going to put you know a fake eye in, and they were going to drill a hole, and he was going to shoot me in the eye, and it was going to you know pop, and <laughs> it was all going to be in camera, and we just never we wound up running out of time, and I would have loved to have done that. And what's oh. kind of also there was a movie called The New World, and there's a director named Terrence Malick who is absolutely genius. He did a movie called Thin Red Line that is spectacular. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways, I got brought in so that I could be shot in the eye with an arrow, basically be laying down on the ground and have an Indian come by, grab the arrow out of my skull and put it back into his quiver so he can keep on fighting with it. You know what I mean? God. Wow. <laughs> so I was, I was all about it. I was like, yes, let's do this. I, I'm a big fan of that. And even to this day, like um, the person we used – in um, uh, Logan, I, I use people that have, you know, one arm or one leg gone and we, we blow them up or we rip them off or whatever it is. You know, we do it for real. Yeah, I remember hearing about that, that you would, uh, were there hiring people um, with, with physical conditions for Logan. That's right. So we could rip off legs, rip off arms. We could do it all in camera. It's, it's Gosh. you know, it's the way to go, guys. You know, practical <laughs> effects is beautiful. And it is. People that have those, those limitations, I don't look at them as limitations. I look at them as gifts, you know, and mm-hmm. make it amazing. Yeah, they did the same thing with Walking Dead also. Mm, yes. In order to recreate some zombie effect. Exactly. I love it. Well, I guess let's jump into Generations. Not much is known about the third series of Mortal Kombat Legacies. Uh, of course, a lot of people call it Generations. Some people call it Mortal Kombat Legacy Season 3. What exactly was it supposed to be? Well, <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget, it was supposed to have helped out with the release of Mortal Kombat X. Mm-hmm. So it had a lot of the new characters that were coming out with Mortal Kombat X. And my my unfortunate dilemma is that I'm not allowed to speak. Because like I said, I signed an NDA about much of anything. 
right? Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, Ed Boone is spectacular. I love him. Love everything those guys brought to the table and everything. My issue is that I, I don't know what's out there online. I haven't really looked into it. I didn't really mm-hmm. like know if, if, if people released the characters that were in it. But of course, you knew that like Casper Van Dien was was brought back and Kerry Tagawa and we still brought back a lot of people and we still kept true to it, but we also had some new ones in there. <clears throat> How about this? We'll give you a sort of very basic rundown of what we have access to. Go for it. And then we can ask you questions. And if you can, just say you can't answer that. That's cool. All right. Mm-hmm. Firstly, the information that we do have online is mostly either incorrect or misleading, right? Or, or there's two different stories sometimes or in, that. In, in some occasions. <laughs> so one example is we have two actresses, for example, who were supposed to be playing the role of Cassie Cage. But with that, we have a sort of character list based on the new characters, which uh, involved Cassie, Aaron Black, Farah, and not Tor, apparently, Jackie Briggs, Takeda, and Kung Jin. Would you possibly be able to confirm any of them? Is there a, an IMDb for more? That's on IMDb, that? yes. Although the actress, the, the second actress for Cassie Cage was on a different website, actually. Let's see. So, yes, these are real. Okay. So, Haley was, was definitely my girl, but um, <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to say... But, but Haley was definitely in it. Okay. <laughs> I can tell you, Haley is definitely in it. Ray was definitely in, the, in, in it as well. That's really cool to hear. I am a big Ray Park fan. Um, so for I. those who don't know, he was uh, uh, Darth Maul in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. He played Toad in X-Men. He played um, the Headless Horseman in Sleepy Hollow. I mean, the stuff he does is great. Absolutely. Uh, Ron Juan, absolutely loved him. Reached out to him as soon as I had it. I was like, yes, need you. Louis <laughs> Tan, absolutely used him. Boo Boo Stewart, absolutely used him. Now, who they played, I'm not allowed to tell you guys that, right? But I can't tell uh-huh. you those <laughs> were in my series. All right. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it, it was a great experience. All those guys, you know, NetherRealm, my hat's off to them. Warner Brothers, Weeby. Um, they're amazing people. How does it feel seeing Louis Tan go from playing in your series to uh, being starring in the new upcoming Mortal Kombat movie? I was vindicated. Let me put it that way. I, <laughs> I love Louis. He's fantastic. And as soon as I put him in the series, I was like, dude, you're a star no matter what. And then when they hired him for it, I was like, yes, you should. And all these other people that were in it, they were all amazing as well. Um, I even had, you know, like, like, like all those people that you see it, like Jade Kwan and so forth. Uh, mm-hmm. She was absolutely in the series, you know, so I still use some stunt people as well as just actors, but that character that she's playing is such a cool character. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I, I was about to ask oh, who, and then I realized, sorry. <laughs> you all know who she's playing. I'm not yeah. going to say anything about it, but you know, you, you haven't told us. So we all we can do is guess. <laughs> but, I can tell you that IMDb is, is pretty solid, guys. I'm looking at it saying, oh, it's pretty solid. You know, Peppy, cool. yep, she's great. Everyone's good. But that, that's actually pretty interesting because that actually uh, kind of tells us that one of the other sort of articles that we have is maybe not as accurate as it, we might have thought it was initially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure what you guys do have or not. And I know there's an awful lot of speculation out there. And I mean, that's what makes it kind of fun, <laughs> I guess. You know, oh, yeah. you guys did get a chance to hear straight from my mouth. You know, some of the things are, are absolutely true on IMDb. And I don't know who released it to IMDb. Maybe it was NetherRealm. Maybe it was Warner Brothers. You know, 
God bless. It tends to happen a lot with Mortal Kombat, to be honest, so it's not really surprising. <laughs> so are you able to give us a plot synopsis or anything like that? You know, we tried to follow along with who the characters were. However, we had a great writer that came in and did just very grounded kind of stories that would have been within that world, you know, just dark and twisted and real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, was, it was very much like what Kevin Tantron would do. Let me put it that way. Oh, okay. So in that terms, it would have basically been a sequel to the Legacy series, but more so along the lines of Mortal Kombat X rather than <laughs> Legacy, which focused on Mortal Kombat 9. But also Correct. separate from the game itself. Exactly. You know, there's a lot of like boxes you have to tick. You can't show them what's in the game, but you have to use the characters, but it can't be the exact same thing. So it's it was one of those things where we had to just try to come up with the content that would tick all the boxes for all the people, you know, for Weeby, for Warner Brothers, for NetherRealm, and, you know, mm-hmm. so on. So Mortal Kombat Legacy didn't exactly fall in line with the video game lore. Even though it, it got a lot of fans interested in the video game, it doesn't line up exactly with the older fans of the video game series have, have grown to love about Mortal Kombat storyline. So I'm presuming since X was more of a follow along to Legacy, it doesn't exactly fall into the Mortal Kombat lore either. That's right. Is that safe to say? (laughs) Safe to say. You're absolutely right. We had obviously Mortal Kombat Legacy season one, season two, and then Generations, which was meant to sort of be a continuation of Legacy. What was the reason for it being called Generations rather than Legacy? Well, because don't forget Mortal Kombat X had kids, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I get that. I, I just find it very interesting that, say you have a series, right? And it's called something specific. It's weird in, in my eyes to go from that name to suddenly changing it to another name. Although I do like the actual reasoning to, for Generations, and I think it was a great name. It's just very well, interesting for me to see that change. Yeah, for, for us, it's, look, you've got Takeda in there. You've got kids, you know, Jackie Briggs, um, Cassie Cage. So our job was to tell the world that this is the continuation. It's the future, you know, growing up. One thing uh, from leaked photos that have come out from the uh, different actors and actresses in the Mortal Kombat Generation series. One thing I noticed was a lot of the costumes in it are very, very video game (laughs) accurate. Exactly. So. Ah, yeah, it was that your decision because I mean yes, they look yes. amazing. They look perfect, <laughs> honestly. That was my decision. It was a labor of love to get that to happen. <laughs> oh, that's so cool to hear. <laughs> we walked into a set, and you know the um, um, the props that we were going to use were not exactly dead on. And you know, hmm. I only have ten hours in a day, and it took us like two hours just to get them dead on. Um, and I feel that I, I attribute that to James Cameron. I brought my whole, you know, he's very precise and he's very intent on bringing reality to everything that he does. And so I brought that into what I was doing with Mortal Kombat too. And I was like, no, man, this has to be real. And if this character would throw it, it has to look like it would be working. Wow. That's so cool to hear. <laughs> it, it's just so heartbreaking that we never got it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let me tell you something. Don't forget guys. A, it is a web series. So I don't want to like get your hopes up too much. It's not going to be this bomb diggity thing. Cause the, these episodes were all of like what, eight to 10 minutes long. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it was true. It was real. And it was a piece of me. It was Mm. 100% where I was given a script that was signed off on by the powers that be. And I took it and made it my own as well. And then I brought some amazing actors in that I felt could could deliver not just performance, but also the action that the world needs to see, you know, and to me, don't forget story is everything. 
If you don't have a story, then what good is watching? You don't just want to see action. And to me, what I try to do is I try to create stories that were like Lord of the Rings. It gave you a breadcrumb that made you want to know more and stay, you know, stay tuned and wanted to know what was going on next. Yes. See, you just put it into words perfectly. But many people say when we're talking about, say, the lore and story of Mortal Kombat, oh, it's just a fighting game. Why do you care about the story? The way you just described it is exactly why. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was a puzzle that you guys wanted to solve. You know, you wanted to yeah. get the ring to the mountain to destroy it. And along the way, you're going to have so many things that were going to um, lead you to another thing. You were going to get a clue that led you to another piece. And it was going to open up more information that you guys. So you were going to basically play Legend of Zelda. You know what I mean? Or Mortal Kombat. <laughs> you know, you're going to yeah. be the one thing would lead you to another would lead you to another. And then you'd get, oh, you'd have epiphanies. And that was my job, you know, and this series was that had the series actually completed and gone through post-production and everything, or did it kind of stop along the way? Oh no, it's done. It's 100% (laughs) visual effects. It's done music. I even had a new mortal Kombat theme song made. Oh Oh, wow. (laughs) And it was this bomb EDM slash trap. Amazing thing. Oh, it was like, Oh man. Like, like at the time I was into like so much like trap music and just like, I wanted to steal like the, 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 the opening to um, the purge, you know, that that in the song. And I wanted people like, just like slamming you with like this new Mortal Kombat kind of thing. Who did you bring in to do the music for it? I'm not allowed to say. What do you want me to say? (laughs) (laughs) I can't tell you that, you know, I also use a buddy of mine from She Wants Revenge who designed all the music for them as well, did one of the songs for the episodes and I loved mm-hmm. it. It was for the divorce scene. That was fantastic. Oh, so, um, you know, this had real music and real sound and real acting and story. And it was, it was, and there might be some people that hate it and they're like, this is just stupid. Of course you'll hate it because I'm sure you'll think I'm stupid, but you know, that's, that's what I do. I put my heart on my sleeve and I'm okay with it getting kicked around. Honestly, everything you said is just, made us more interested in it. So don't think it's stupid at all. <laughs> well, let me just tell the fans that everyone wants it to be released, but it's, it's been, it's been shelved for good reasons and the powers that be have their reasons. And I, I completely understand. I'm not going to be upset about it. And I hope you guys don't either. And if we don't get to see it, then perhaps someday in the future, you know, I'll be able to do something as well. Maybe I can make another fan video and do something. I know I was supposed to do a fan video for someone that was following along with a character and I wanted to do it really bad for them as well. And maybe that can happen, you know? Do you think that there's any chance it might get added as like a bonus feature on in, in a future movie or a game or anything like that? Or do you think it's shelved for good at this I point? I don't know because don't forget, Warner Brothers doesn't own it outright. Oh. Ah. NetherRealm doesn't own it outright either. Mm-hmm. And okay. that's where the problem is. You get it? Yeah. It's like, yeah. would, would NetherRealm really want that to be a special feature on a DVD release? They might not. They might be like, you know what? This isn't, we, we don't want this to be a part of the, the lore anymore. You know, we didn't, mm-hmm. we didn't like some of the story that was going on. They might just say this didn't service what we need. And so they don't want to put it out. So based on that, obviously they didn't have all the rights to it. And that is a huge factor and why I guess it was shelved. How did that differ from season one and two? Or can you not answer that? Well, I did answer it already. Don't forget when Kevin Tantron did his fan video mm-hmm. he did that at a time where people could make fan videos and yeah. 
he got millions of views and everyone was like, this is amazing. And then companies were like, oh, this guy did a great job. Let's bring him in. Nowadays, you can't just release something on the internet anymore. You know, streaming services have taken over and owning the content online is a big deal. So I see. Okay. Creating those first two seasons, you know, the powers that be that were, were like, yeah, that's cool. It'll promote the game. Yeah, that's cool. It'll promote. By the third season, people are like, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. We're starting to see a whole lot of revenue being made for these things. And we're starting to see a lot of reason why this needs to be controlled and done a certain way. So, um, and now even One Punch Man, that got squashed, you know, and that's a great piece that someone just put out and they're not made. They did it just for love, you know? So the difference between generations and legacies is that the internet grew up. Yeah. Okay. That's uh, sad, but definitely uh, but it's helpful real. and understanding. <laughs> it's real and you guys have to admit to it too because you know you see people out there now that are making money hand over fist that are just influencers you know what i mean i mean mm-hmm. at people like pewdiepie or or you know i justine or something that they make huge amounts of money just because of the content that they share so you have to control that as well otherwise people could just make any tv series they want okay so i'm gonna ask a question now if it's too on the money, we're going to edit it out. Don't worry. But is, is that, is it to do with machinima getting uh, disbanded basically? Not really. Yes. And no, th- that was a part of it too, but no, not really. I mean, don't forget machinima um, wasn't necessarily, they were one of the entities that had like desires to release it and do certain things with it. So um, I know that they were involved as well, but they really didn't, like I'm saying, the people that had the interest in it, the Netherrealm, the Weeby, the Warner brothers, those all had, certain desires that needed to be mm-hmm. met. And they were, we, we were trying to meet all of those desires for those people. And then once it was done, it was like, okay, where do we want to release this? Well, we should do this. Now we should mm-hmm. do this. Well, you know what? It's better if we just shelve it because we don't want to step on toes. And that's mm-hmm. exactly yeah. what happens. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. And that makes sense too, with being so close to the actual movie premiere coming up four or five years ago, whenever uh, generations was created, they probably had their reasons to keep pushing it back. But now at this point, we are months away from getting a brand new Mortal Kombat movie, which this would distract from that. Exactly. And that's why my hat's off to the guys, you know, Todd Garner, the producer is a really good friend of mine. I did. Here comes the boom with him and he's amazing. And he's one of the Mm -hmm. greatest guys in the world. And he's a serious, great filmmaker. And, you know, he doesn't do anything mean to anybody. And so he's just out there making the best product possible. And my, my, my desire is that everyone enjoys this movie the way that it needs to be enjoyed and isn't sidetracked by, you know, the little project that we did back in the day, which was cool, but this film mm-hmm. is going to be amazing and I can't wait to see it. And don't forget when we did our generations at the time, Kevin Tantron was in the making of trying to do a film from him as well, had a script and so mm. forth. And that kind of got sidetracked. So as you can see, yeah, that's right. Constantly with Mortal Kombat guys. It's, it's, it's not that easy. I mean, mm-hmm. I remember at one time I wanted to do a fan video for Samurai Jack and then I had found out that people owned it and that they were having trouble. So Samurai Jack is another one that people owned. And don't forget, what's the car driving game that everyone, you know, there's the oh, Grand Theft Auto. Grand Theft Auto. Oh. That was supposed to be a movie and too many people. Yeah. It. So it's, it's, it's not a lot of the fans are like, wow, this really sucks. You guys should just release it. Well, it's not that easy. <laughs> and right. I, I hope you all understand that it's also like, I understand their, their dilemma. I sit in their shoes and I realize that, you know, these guys are having difficulty because, you know, there's ramifications. And we as fans 
have to realize that they are going to do the best thing for us and they are going to release great stuff for us. So sit back and enjoy. And I know you've been waiting for a long time, guys. There's a reason. And here it's coming. You guys can't wait and see. That's really cool to hear, Um, especially from somebody who, you know, has made a Mortal Kombat IP. (laughs) Right. I wish I could. I love it. It is my child and it's beautiful. And I would love to see it, show you guys. But once again, um, I realize that that they need to do this their way and it's going to be amazing when they do it. And I'm 100% behind them. I support them totally. And I can't wait to see this film. I'm going to be first in line to watch it. Do you still do any work with Blender Brothers or NRS uh, along these lines? Not really. As soon as I got onto Logan, I was kind of sucked up by Fox for a while. And then, of course, mm-hmm. I got onto Battle Angel, which is another Fox project with James Cameron. And um, Jim really is just my family. And I love him to death. And, you know, you will never, ever have a greater life than working with James Cameron or for James Cameron and John Landau and Fox. And let me tell you that, you know, we got bought out by Disney and Disney's amazing. You know, we were making um, movies for like Battle Angel right next to Mandalorian at the same time. John Favreau was (laughs) over there. So guys, I, I would, of course, try to still knock on the door of Warner Brothers and NetherRealm and all those guys. But I've just been sucked up by the filmmaking process that was Fox slash Warner Brothers slash all the other things that I've been doing. That's great to hear. That's great to hear that you're still busy. Like you're still in the business. Still in the business, still busy. Um, I'm on a project that I can't talk about that I've been on for three years. And it's one of my favorite things I've ever worked on in my life. And it's beautiful. Looking forward to seeing this then. Oh, wait until you guys see it. Wait until you see it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I do have to ask. I know the generations questions we're we're, we're trying to be careful with them and we apologize if it gets slightly repetitive, but uh, just, you know, while we have you here, <laughs> um, has there been any talk at all? We understand that obviously it's shelved and everything, but has have you heard anything? Has the topic even been raised about Generations since, I guess, since it was shelved? Never. And I keep Never. calling I, every once in a while. <laughs> Casper, I'll hit things up to like, um, you know, Kevin and Kevin will be like, you know, you should call Ed Boone, talk to Ed. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I'll talk to like the producers on Generations and they're like, it's not just Ed. You can't just talk to Ed. So forget that. It's, you know, um, <laughs> it's, it, he's like, you know, you're just spinning your wheels, Garrett. We all wish we could release it because we, we, we really worked hard. And, you know, everybody in that process did a great job. And I can't tell you how, you know, Lance, the producer is so good at what he does as well. And what he, what we did on that film, well, project, that series, we, we have tried, we've made our yeah. effort guys. We are just like you. And we have stood there pounding our fists saying, please. And they've said, just please understand. We can't and understand that. And then at that point we all said, okay, we get it. We love you, and we'll step back and wait and see what you're going to do next. Honestly, we love that you've been asking and following up on this. We're like, yeah, okay, obviously it's not going to happen, but we still really do appreciate, firstly, that you've actually followed up on things as well as even just did it in the first place. For everything that you've told us over this episode, sounds like it it sounded amazing. You know, it sounded like exactly what we've wanted. Yeah, thank you. It's good. The actors are good. Um, One of the things I can tell you is that for a while there, I had posted like, little things that were already on the internet, you know, and I had said, you know, release the, the, the greatest thing that has not been released, you know, I used to like that, <laughs> like that, you know, um, hoping that someone would get traction and people would go, oh, yes, let's do this. But um, once again, 
Um, I never did it in a hurtful way or a spiteful way. I've never broken the NDA. Um, I have so many photos that I did take and I will never release them. Trust me. I'm, I, 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 I give my word. I keep my word. That's, that's, you know, born and raised, you know, I'll, I'll take it to my grave. Yeah. The fans definitely want it. <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> I love you guys. And I'm loyal to you as well, but don't forget, you know, I also have to be loyal to other people. And it's, it's one of those things where loyalty is the most important thing in this world. It really is. Your name yeah. is the most important thing in this world. And if you, if you tarnish that and you destroy it, then you've got nothing left. So it's really great to have, you know, somebody who has done st- stunt coordination and has directed a series like this. Um, part like one of the famous stories from the 95 Mortal Kombat movie was how Robin show got his ribs cracked while in a fight scene with Keith Cook. And um, I'm curious, have things kind of evolved as far as stunt coordination in order to prevent accidents like that? Or are there new safety regulations in the industry? Well, let me just say, um, and real quickly before I forget, because I love that you guys brought up Keith Cook. Um, so hold on to that question. I'll answer that. And let me just add something <laughs> in here. Keith, I love you. Keith is one of the greatest martial arts, martial artists this world will ever know. I don't think you guys know this. I used to compete on the same circuit as him. And then when I really, got into, uh, wow. we used to compete side by side in the same circuit and he's beautiful. He's amazing. He is for real. And not only is he for real, but he is genius. So let me say that no one is better than Keith Cook out there. And I love him to death. Um, when I did the first avatar, I had him train Zoe Saldana and teach her to move like Natiri, you know, for that. Mm-hmm. And then I also brought Rosa in for battle angel. And I had him t- train her. So I still use Keith. Day. <laughs> He's still amazing. Guys. That's, now, so awesome, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think you guys knew either on the, on the original Mortal Kombat movie, but JJ Perry, the stunt guy that played yeah. um, Sub-Zero, he's one of my best mm-hmm. friends. You know, he was at my birthday party. No way. Oh yeah. I got him into this business. Kind of when I was doing Walker, Texas Ranger, I had to leave and I had to have someone else take over for me. So I got him into it. He had just, he was just fresh out of the military and JJ and I are still brothers in arms and we are 100%, you know, right there for each other. And, you know, he was on that set and he was genius back then. And he was an amazing fighter. And to this day, still an amazing fighter. Um, now back to actors getting ribs cracked. Um, <laughs> we have evolved as a filmmaking, you know, world where accidents um, are limited greatly. You know, we're able to fall on padded ground now instead of real ground. And people mm-hmm. can make that look like the real floor. So a lot of things do happen that help an awful lot. However, let me just say that cracking ribs um, is a very easy thing to have happen. You guys realize that, right? You can crack a rib mm-hmm. just by rolling out of bed or falling on a chair. So having a martial artist do a fight scene with you and make some contact to a rib, it could have just been the way he twisted or was extending his arm at the time. Um, so I don't necessarily think that Keith Cook hit someone so hard that it cracked his ribs. I think that, you know, human error. I mean, look at it like this. Iron Man, I believe it was three. Robert Downey Jr. was doing a wire gag, came down and twisted his ankle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that really wasn't that bad of a gag. You know what I mean? Um, I remember when Adam Sandler was playing basketball while he was filming bedtime stories. And while he was out in the lot playing basketball, he came down from a jump shot and, you know, twisted his ankle. And they had to shut down as well. So even nowadays in this film industry, in this film business, 
you're going to find out that no matter what happens, action has its risks. You know, just running up a hill when we were doing the losers, Jeffrey Dean Morgan had to run up a hill to a helicopter and he pulled his hamstring and he couldn't walk hmm. straight for like three weeks. You know, so yes, yeah. we, so nowadays there are much stricter guidelines for safety. I actually spend more time writing out exactly how a stunt is going to be performed. I spend more time with safety professionals that come to me first saying, what is the actor exactly going to do? What is the stunt person exactly going to do? How high will they jump? Will they be on a wire? What is the precautionary message you're taking? You know, that never happened before. So nowadays we have huge safety precautions and backups that are in place and redundancies that we have to meet. So yes, we take great care nowadays. With your movies that you've directed, you know, a lot of directors take a particular approach to them. They, they kind of do different tones for their colors or they focus on different things. Like a, a, every director has a style to them. Do you feel like you managed to kind of build your style during your time working on this movie or this series? I love that you said that. You're right. I mean, I use color palettes the whole time for each person. Did you? you know? Sometimes I use blue, sometimes I use blue, sometimes I use green, sometimes I use red for different you know different episodes, and you guys might get a chance to see it. You know, whereas if someone was more human of an element, we would use like the orange, the yellows, and things like that. If someone was more of like um, a cold kind of a character, would you go with blues and so forth? So I love that you guys know all about color palettes and color styles. I'm a huge fan of Tony Scott. You know, aside mm. from James Cameron, I'm a huge fan of Tony Scott. Tony Scott is possibly one of the greatest directors that has ever lived. Um, mm -hmm. You know, his film, Man on Fire, is yes. way above anything that anybody has still been able to achieve in that kind of sense. Those, those you know, um, vigilante kind of movies. And then on top of that, he did a movie that was called um, True Romance. True Romance yeah. is good oh my gosh he did top gun of course he did so many other films that were all great as well beverly hills cop 2 but his movies i stole a lot from him i took a lot of, <laughs> I took a lot of views from him and i used his style to help you know make my style and then when i got in with james cameron i took a lot of him now and i've used him to formulate who i am as well however the biggest thing is as a second unit director you can't come in with your own style Mm -hmm. you know that? The greatest second unit director is someone who can be a chameleon, who can watch a director of photography and a film director and see what style they're going for. Are they handheld? Are they crane shots? Do they hold on a shot for a long time or is it quick cuts? And they have to adopt that because the last thing you want to do is see a movie that's shot so well, then the action is just all cuts. Mm -hmm. You know, it has yeah. to be, it has to be a symbiotic relationship. And that's where, I think my strength is as a second unit director, as an action director, I get right next to the director and I look at what he's doing and how he's doing it. And even when I do a shot, I send him screen grabs or I let him watch on FaceTime what I just did. And I say, is this mm -hmm. what you're liking? I don't just go out there and do it myself. I make sure that he's the one that's doing it. I am an extension of him. So mm -hmm. for the series, I still wanted it to be something like Kevin Tantron because he's the one that started this whole thing. And I still wanted my, my style to blend with his. And mm. yet I still wanted to have my own voice and have this Tony Scott kind of feeling. And so I think you'll find that I tried to do this hybrid and I think it turned out well. Wow. The more I hear about it, the more I want to see it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> 
Uh, do you ever want to return to the director's chair? Are there any dream projects oh you'd want to direct? Oh my gosh, yes. I, there's a project right now I read and my agent was trying to get me in on. Um, and I think that they're going out, going with another director who is amazing, by the way, and I'd go with him too if I was them. So yes, <laughs> I do, do want to direct one day. I think it'd be fantastic. Maybe James Cameron would let me direct something for him um, at Lightstorm. You know, um, my, my goal is that the project I do just can't be any project. It has to really just resonate not only with me, but also with society. And it has mm -hmm. to be, it has to be a true thumbprint on the film world. Cause I am such a film student and I love movies so much. I do this because I really do love it guys. And I really want that to be the project I come out with, not just something that is content. That's yeah. so cool to hear. Yeah, we can definitely tell you you love what you do, and that's I awesome do. to hear. I, I love movies so much. I don't think you guys understand. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> so are there any projects that you're currently working on that you can discuss? Nope. <laughs> All <laughs> right. I've been on something for three years, and it's an amazing work, and I can't wait for you guys all to see it. But once again, I've signed a great NDA, and I'm not allowed to um, release any <laughs> But I can tell you that I'm a very big fan of what Lightstorm Entertainment is doing right now with their Avatar sequels and John Landau mm. and James Cameron. I can't wait to see what they do with their project. Yeah, that's, those are going to be amazing too. Can't wait till they premiere. And we'll keep an eye out for your project as well, for sure. Well, hopefully one will come out eventually in the future. But right now, um, I just think that, you know, if you guys follow along with John Landau, the producer of Avatar sequels and James Cameron, you guys will see some amazing stuff, stuff that... I'm a very big fan of. That's exciting <laughs> to hear because I, I I enjoyed the first Avatar, but now that they're making so many more, I'm interested to see what they do with the series. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I hear nothing but great things about it, and like once again, like I said, I'm not allowed to say anything um, about mm -hmm. anything that I'm working on, but I can tell you, you know, that's that that's something that I, I, I'm looking forward to. So before we let you go, what is your favorite Mortal Kombat finisher, fatality or brutality? Oh, um, rips the skull and the spine out. Yes. Right. That was it. That was my yeah. favorite of all time. I mean, like I said, I stole that and I keep on using it. And one day I love to do it. I wanted to do it on Logan and it was just too much. I couldn't do it. But I, just, <laughs> oh, I, had, heads. I had the little girl, you know, I had her chop off a head and throw it to people. So, you know, as you can see, <laughs> I mean, when, when predator used to do that and rip the people out and then, you know, like, like steam clean it, I was like, man, that's awesome. You know, so that's my favorite. That's a good choice. Uh, where can our listeners find you? On Instagram, I'm Garrett X Warren. And, you know, I, I still post some things from films. I'm not allowed to post a lot of stuff, but I do a lot of photography as well. So they'll get to see some of my photography. On Facebook, I have a page, Garrett X Warren as well. Um, I have a professional page as well as my personal page. And then, you know, I am getting ready to start my own, like, uh, uh, web page. It will be Garrett X Warren as well. And it'll be GarrettXWarren.com. And hopefully in the next year, it'll come out as soon as I can. It'll be my goal to try to help educate the world on how to shoot action, you know, just in their own backyard and so forth. And what it is that I'm doing and how I'm doing it and what they can do to also do it themselves. It sounds like you'll be giving some amazing advice based on everything we've heard on this episode. And we'll definitely be leaving links to everything that you have in our description. Dude, you rock. I appreciate that great. Thanks. <laughs> so we'd like to thank all of our listeners for stopping by the Realmcast today. And thank you very much, Garrett, for joining us on this episode. Thank it was you. a pleasure to have you on. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it greatly. Also, special thanks to Uppercut Editions, the creator of the Mortal Kombat Compendium, for their continued support. You can follow them at Encyclopedia MK on Twitter and the Mortal Kombat Encyclopedia Project on Facebook. 
You can find Yanni and myself, Phantom, on the Mortal Kombat group on Facebook, as well as Yanni on the Mortal Kombat Meme Realm. You can catch up on all episodes of the Realmcast on YouTube, Facebook, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you. Thank you very much.